Now, would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers chapter 30? We've come to chapter 30. Now, I'm, I'm in ver- when you see my verses, they come from the Torah. And the verse one of your chapter was my last verse last time. So when I'm in verse two, you're in verse one. Clear? Just follow along. You'll figure it out. The sanctity of words. Now we're, we're really closing in on the end of the book of Numbers. They are at the brink of crossing the Jordan after 40 years of wilderness. Already we've seen in Numbers how Joshua has been named the successor to Moses. Moses is dead. Moses, Miriam is dead. Aaron is dead. They're all, that whole generation as God had judged is dead. This is a new generation. God has been reviewing things through, through the leadership. Actually, actually he, he started this with Moses and Moses has recorded this. This is just coming again uh, to the people. Most of it is found in Leviticus, some of it in Deuteronomy, but it comes in numbers at this part in something of a summary, a little bit of a summary, to remind a new generation of all their obligations. God is building a new nation. He's building a society. He's building a culture. And to read the laws of Leviticus as they're given, communal laws, civil laws, um, the commands of relationships, um, and then to see it reiterated here in this part of the book of uh, Numbers really gives us an idea of how any orderly society should live. Now, there are certain things only applicable to the, to the Israelites, and I understand that. And of course, in the New Testament era, Vast amounts of it would not apply to us for our Lord Christ has taken the guilt and he was our sacrifice and he's our Sabbath. But these mundane things, these things that have to do with with common sense and good living, a strong society, a strong culture, God has given detail to these things to a new generation so that they'll understand he wants them, he intends for them to get the right start to be a pure and honest and holy people when they go into the land. In this particular chapter, basically it can be summed up like this. Do what you say you'll do. If you go to buy a car, Especially if you have it financed. I don't know. You'll have, what, 15, 20 pages of stuff? Nobody's going to read it all. They'll just say sign here, 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 and then flip here and here, date it here, sign here, initial here, here, and here. You don't know what you're doing. 
Pat is the only person in this room who'd sit there and read every word. And a house or anything like that, you know? And I'll tell you why it's that way. It's because they can't trust your word. You can't just go up there and shake their hand and say, I'm going to pay it off and equal payments in seven years. And uh, thank you. Can't do that. That's not going to work. There was a time maybe. My daddy, he was really something else. He was a character. He, there came a time during the year earlier in his uh, business where he had to carry a line of credit at the bank because the clothing business is seasonal. You're going to have to buy, let me see, you're going to have to buy, it'd have to be around August, I guess, if my memory serves. You get into August, you're going to have to buy next summer's clothes which they haven't started making yet. Then you have to make the arrangements on how you're going, when and how you're going to receive it and how you'll pay for it. Commonly, the manufacturer would give you 30 days to pay for what they sent. That was never good enough for daddy. He would sit on the phone half a day explaining to them what a privilege it would be for them to give him 90 days instead of 30 days. He always got it. Interest free. He always got it. You know, he would, oh, he could just talk and carry on. And if it needed to be sweet talk, he could sense it. If it needed to be firm talk, he could sense it. He'd go right into it. By the end of his long conversation, having passed them having passed their conversation down two or three people, finally the man at the top would say, okay, Paul, I'm going to trust you in it. My daddy, well, and this was a joke, it was tongue in cheek. My daddy would say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll owe you always before I beat you. <laughs> he said that, if he said it once, I heard him say it a million times. Our word just isn't our bond anymore in our country. There was once a time where we had, you know, we had, uh, we were ethical and we had integrity and this kind of thing, but hardly anymore. It's that way and it's been that way across the history of the Gentile nations. Because the Gentile nations didn't get a start like this. A whole new generation setting up shop in a new land with, with, uh, with their God having been proven to be the God. And they are in a covenant relationship with God Almighty. And God intends for his people to be representatives of his certainly and to be a priesthood to the world. And so many things go into a person's life to build that integrity. Not the least of which is to honor your word. This is what is covered here 
It's, it's, it's fairly straightforward and brief, but I understand this. The Hebrew words are different for vow and oath. Generally speaking, a vow is a vow unto the Lord. Now, we've just been through all of these feast days. Just, just before we get to this, it's been the feasts, you know, the, the, the Passover, the, the tabernacles and all that. Now, having carried the people into a reflection upon these special feasts and sacrifices, rituals, festivals, which include making a vow to the Lord. Every burnt offering really was a vow to the Lord. I'm yours. I'm totally committed. I don't want anything hidden from you. And thus the burnt offering was made, which assumed that a sin offering had already been made. So really, in, in a sense, just about every offering is just in the act of it is some kind of vow. It's obvious that uh, the people would, would sincerely commit to the Lord, or at least in some way, appear to commit to the Lord certain things on certain days and in certain ways. Now, the importance of keeping that vow is reflected here in uh, Numbers chapter 30. So we look at it, first of all, it starts with a, a man's word. It's, it's, it seems to be out of fashion these days to think that there are actually differences, but there is a difference between a man and a woman. That never, that never caught on with God. There's a man and there's a woman. In the culture and in the society which God is building in Israel in an ancient day, because of obvious limitations, because of obvious, of obvious strengths and weaknesses on behalf of both men and women, there were expectations and responsibilities laid upon men and others that were laid upon women. God in his infinite wisdom knew that his new nation would function best when his people understood these things. Now that's not lost here in this chapter. So the mandate begins in uh, addressing the importance of the word of a man. This, of course, uh, presupposes a, a grown adult man. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes, the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing Yahweh has commanded. If a man makes a vow to Yahweh or makes an oath to prohibit himself. So now here's, this is all inclusive, a vow or an oath. To prohibit himself. Now that, that can mean... Um, to bind himself or to, the, the word, the Hebrew, the Hebrew word literally, literally means imprisons himself. He is imprisoned. He's chained to what he said he will do. If he makes an oath, a vow to Yahweh, or makes an oath to prohibit or bind himself or imprison himself to the oath, he shall not violate his word according to whatever came out of his mouth he shall do. 
Nearly three million people are about to cross the Jordan River and they're about to take on a, a task of defeating and dispelling the Canaanites who are in the land. The Canaanites, are we've seen the description of, of how they were. They were demonic people. They had horrible lifestyles, worldviews. They had horrible, despicable behaviors. And God would not allow them. Hundreds of years earlier, God had deeded this land via Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. He had deeded this land to the descendants of Abraham. God can do that. He owns all the land. Now these people, these descendants of Abraham will come in and take the land that is theirs. I've told you many times that the covenant that God had made with Israel in the Old Testament not only was a covenant about people, but it was also a covenant about land that belonged to the people. We'll see more of that, God willing, when we get into Deuteronomy, uh, how, the, how the land is a, pre a precious possession for them. But if they messed up in their lives and they just got sinful, they could lose the land. What do you have if you've lost your home, you've lost your land, you've lost your national identity? Well, that's for another time in Deuteronomy. Here, the strength of the society is basically founded upon the integrity of the people who will be going in to inhabit the land. It starts with the man. If a man has something that comes out of his mouth, makes a, a, a vow or an oath, he will do what he has said he will do. It would also seem that this fresh new generation that is about to take over the land of Canaan, the, those being the ones who would assume religious leadership, they would assume civil leadership, they would assume military leadership, this, uh, all of it. They would be the ones who together would build the nation, its economy, uh, its activities, uh, the, the, the law of Moses with regard to the worship that they have been enjoying in the tabernacle, which much later in their history would be transferred into the temple. These, these people getting this fresh start need to be able to understand that under their God who has brought them to this place, and there's going to be a, when, when, over in Joshua, we've already gone through Joshua a long time ago, but when they cross over under the leadership of Joshua, there is a recommitment. Uh, circumcision is reinstated. They, hadn't, they haven't had that for 40 years. It's just a whole rededication of the whole nation. Therefore, there being an assumption that the people will be honest. You remember the guy who kept some of the, the goods that Joshua told the people not to keep when they defeated a particular area and he kept some and the whole nation came under a curse and Joshua said something's wrong somebody is doing something wrong and they finally found the guy and they stoned him and his family to death he didn't he said he was going to do one thing and he did another and it, it brought trouble to the whole place I think that's 
an example of what we have to remember what can happen if we're not careful to do what we say we'll do. You can't, you can't have a solid society. You can't build a strong culture, certainly not a strong nation, on people whose word is meaningless. That's very important. So it comes in the form of a law. These, these, first of all, the men. Now, secondly, the single young woman who is at home. I'll tell you something else that God points out for that society, that every society needs to be subjected to, and if it's not, and it escapes these boundaries, that society will collapse. It will fall in upon itself. And that is the importance of discipline. Rank and discipline. There's rank in the home. There's discipline among people. And we all, in one way or another, are subject to authority in this world. We should not, now when people try to escape that, you have chaos. And when rules are not obeyed and then when penalties for breaking the rules are not kept or observed, then more and more people feel unrestrained. That's just the natural state of fallen man, to feel unrestrained. And this, this spreads like leaven in the dough and that society will collapse. Here, God addresses the authority that he has established for Israel as they are crossing the river or about to cross the river. Here, the first thing with regard to discipline and subjection to authority is a young woman in her home. She's still under the authority of her father. If a woman makes a vow to Yahweh or imposes a, a prohibition upon herself or in, she's imprisoned by what she says, while in her father's house, in her youth, if her father heard her vow or her prohibition, which she has prohibited upon herself, yet her father remains silent, all her vows shall stand. And any prohibition that she has imposed upon herself shall stand. But if her father hinders her, on the day he hears it, all her vows and her prohibitions that she has imposed upon herself shall not stand. If he objects, he said, no, he overrules it. Yahweh will forgive her because her father, who is her authority, has overruled her, has hindered her in following through with her vow or oath. But if she's betrothed to a man, now, this is the old Israelite, old world betrothal. It's the same thing as, as the, the vows really are the same. They just haven't come together in a, marriage, a wedding ceremony yet for the consummation of the, of the marriage. But they're still betrothed. If she's betrothed to a man with her vows upon her or by an utterance of her lips, which she has imposed upon herself, and her husband hears it but remains silent on the day he hears it, her vows shall stand in her prohibition which she has imposed upon herself shall stand. But if her husband hinders her on the day, now you'll notice once betrothed, 
her authority becomes her husband and not her father. So the authority, the, the, the rank and file uh, differs according to the word of God. If her husband hinders her on the day that he heard it, he has revoked the vow she has taken upon herself and the utterance which she has imposed upon herself and Yahweh will forgive her. So the man in this case <clears throat> bears a great responsibility. If he keeps his mouth shut, he knows that he's going to be responsible for whatever she said. Now, what about the widow and the divorcee? Here we go. This is found in verse, well, it's in my verse 10. I guess it's what your verse nine. As for the vow of a widow or a divorced woman, whatever she has prohibited upon herself will remain upon her. In such a case, she is her authority. And she's, she doesn't have the authority of a husband or a father. She is her authority. Therefore, she is responsible for whatever she has said, whatever vow or oath she's made. Now, from there, move to the married woman. But if she bow, vowed in her husband's house or imposed a prohibition upon herself with an oath and her husband heard and remained silent and didn't hinder her or overrule her, all her vows shall stand and every prohibition she imposed upon herself shall stand. If her husband revokes them on the day he hears them, anything issuing from her lips regarding her vows or self-imposed prohibitions shall not stand, her husband has revoked them, and Yahweh shall forgive her. Any vow or binding oath of self-affliction, her husband can either uphold it or revoke it. However, if her husband remains silent from day to day, he has upheld all the vows and prohibitions she has assumed, and he has upheld them since he remained silent on the day he heard it. If he revokes them after having heard them, he shall bear her iniquity. Now that's important, you see. He shall bear her iniquity, the encumbrance, the weightiness of authority. These are the statutes which Yahweh commanded Moses concerning a man and his wife, a father and his daughter in her youth while in her father's house. So added to everything, of course, they've told, they've been told to remain separation from the world. They've been given laws of purity, what they can eat, what they can't eat, um, how they are to maintain an ongoing relationship with Yahweh through the festivals and the feasts and the sacrifices, constant. I mean, and they had a calendar built on these things. Um, these were important parts of their year. They didn't have weekly church like we have today. It was a, it was a totally uh, different kind of worship methodology. And of course, it's centered around in that relationship, covenant relationship, relationship to Yahweh. It's centered around the activity that they were bound to regarding the tabernacle and then later uh, the temple. So the Lord has told them to maintain that calendar. That would keep them that would keep them mindful of their relationship to Yahweh. It would keep them mindful that without a saving God and without a way to make a sacrifice, there would be no atonement for their sin. It was a, 
It was all a lesson in the coming Christ. Then he told them about, uh, about their uh, duties toward one another. That was much earlier we studied. Now, strengthening the importance of rank and file and the discipline of authority in the culture. Different cultures will do this differently. Um, it's according to the culture. However, the principle of authority and discipline those principles have to be maintained and observed. If they are not, then, then the, the culture is meaningless. The system, the society is useless. They can't stand. They'll be enslaved. They'll be amalgamated into some other culture where there is strong discipline and they'll be forced uh, to be a part of their society according to that society's laws. So as they go along, this is how Yahweh tells them they are to live with regard to the sanctity of their words and what they say. What that does, of course, it makes a person very careful in what that person says that he or she will do or will not do in making a vow or an oath. The weightiness of a person's words Vows and oaths. Well, that was a short chapter. We're going to stop there. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, Lord, help us to understand the importance of authority and discipline and order. And help us to know that these are important things in our society, in every society, in every culture. Help us, to, Lord, be active in those principles in our own lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, right where we live. Thank you for the direction that you've given to your people throughout all the ages. Most of all, thank you, Lord, that you have seen fit to save us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.